Welcome to Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. I'm your host, Tigrila Gardenia, nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach. In this podcast, I share ancient and modern knowledge from biology to spirituality about the wondrous ways in which plants can help you lead a naturally conscious life. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. This is me, Tigria Gardenia, and I am so excited to talk to you today about 11, 11 outstanding plant-inspired books and one dud. It happens, it happens. So where does this list come from, this list of 12 books? These are the 12 books that we have read in the Plant Wisdom Book Club. So let me give you a little history so you understand where we're coming from. Back in 2001, I had been reading all of these amazing books. As you know, I'm I'm addicted to, to everything that is plant-inspired. So papers, books, uh, articles that come out, everything, trying to understand our plant friends. So trying to grab from history, trying to grab from science, trying to grab from the arts in every single direction. The thing was, I was reading all these amazing papers and books and such, and I didn't have a place where I could share what I was finding. This was the beginning of the, the Naturally Conscious community, and I thought, what an excellent opportunity for us to create a book club, a book club where we could bond over new ideas with our fellow plant lovers and really just sit down and and discuss what was coming up for us as we were reading some of these books. And so I created, at the time it was called the Reconnect with Plant Wisdom Book Club. See the same sameness in the name? The reason is that this was the precursor to the podcast. I already had a little bit the podcast in mind, but I wanted to create a family of different products that were all around the idea of how do we really reconnect deeper with our plant friends. And so Reconnect with Plant Wisdom Book Club was born in 2021. Yeah, two years ago. And the whole concept there was pretty simple. You know, we would choose a book together. We would spend two months reading it. We wanted to give ourselves enough time to really get into it. And then we would have a final discussion. The truth of the matter is you can never have too many like-minded friends or too many plant-inspired books. So we have been gathering up all this list of different books. And I want to walk you through the top 12 that we've read, the the 12 that we've read and tell you about the top 11 um, because one of them we didn't choose so well. But that happens too and we still got a lot of that out of it. But before we go there, I want to share with you a very uh, important for us and very important for us eco-conscious partner that without this partner, this book club could not exist. 90% of people promise themselves they're going to read more but never follow through. Okay, I made that statistic up, but I bet you it's close. In this hyper-digital world, mindless scrolling and binge-watching TV robs us of our focus while our books sit on the sidelines, patiently waiting to whisk us away to another world or even to open our minds to fascinating topics like plant intelligence. As a plant-inspired mentor and personal evolution coach, I love falling down the rabbit hole of a good book to learn how plants communicate and see how our worlds are so intertwined. Heck, I even like it to just escape from everything for a while and lose myself in another storyland. I love it so much, I created the Plant Wisdom Book Club so we could talk about all these fascinating books. That is why I was so happy to find bookshop.org. They believe local bookstores are essential community hubs that foster culture, curiosity, and a love of reading, and they're committed to helping them thrive. Every purchase on the site financially supports independent bookstores. So keeping that promise to yourself to read more, click the link in the show notes to help local independent bookstores thrive in the age of e-commerce by purchasing a book from bookshop.org. All right, so let me just start it off by telling you about the books. I'm going to go in order. Like I said, we read each book for approximately two months. Sometimes we've taken three if it's a period where a lot of our readers are maybe busy with outside and extracurricular or in the naturally conscious community, we have a lot of things going on, but mainly we read for about two months. We choose the books together. So just to give you kind of a little bit of information, we have a large list, which you can find on bookshop.org that has all of the kind of books out 
there that people recommend to us. So anytime that there's a recommendation, I find one, maybe a new book that just came out, or somebody tells me about a book. And the book can be loosely connected in any which way to the plant world. So the plant kingdom in whether it's directly related, like some of the ones you're going to read, or it's maybe something that talks more about the forest ecosystem, which is some of the others that we've read. The point is that the book should have a focus in some way, shape or form. It could be fiction or nonfiction. And that has been a really interesting adventure for us and really exciting to read some of the nonfiction, excuse me, to read some of the fiction that has been coming out around plants to help us truly imagine a whole new world once we shift this paradigm into this plant reawakening. So we, we choose the book together. We, we go from this huge list of, I think today we have 55 different options available to us, plus anybody can recommend something at any time. We whittle it down to the top five, top five. And then from the top five, we take a final vote and that vote is the, the book that we read. We read it for, like I said, two months. And at the beginning, we thought we would have one final discussion at the end. But the truth of the matter is that there is so much, there's so much goodness in, in these books that we decided that instead we're gonna do two mini discussions, about 45 minutes to an hour in between. So usually about every three weeks we start reading, then three weeks later we do the first mini discussion. We do the second mini discussion about three weeks later. And then at the end we do the final discussion, which is about two hours where we sit there and we have this great conversation. When possible, we bring the author in. We've been privileged, and I'll tell you about some of those, because we've been privileged to have the author with us multiple times. Um, the positives of being in this industry and having so much experience is that I oftentimes have the ability to connect in with some of these different authors. And that has been so enriching to hear straight from the author why they wrote the book, what they were thinking of the book and answering some of the questions that come up as we read. So let's, let me just get into this. Cause like I said, there's, there's 12 books. So it's going to take a little while to go through. So the first book that we read, and it was a complete coincidence that this book had just come out maybe about a few months before, not even maybe two months before we started the book club. So our very first book was Finding the Mother Tree by Susan Simard. Now, Susan Simard has become world famous all around the world. And this is her sort of autobiographical experience of the the understanding that she came to relating to finding the mother tree. As you can imagine, everybody loved this book. I mean, there is so much richness in this book. So if you're looking for a read that helps you for there's, let me, let me just say that there's so many different topics, not just the plant angle topics. So the first thing is understanding why does Susan Simard call these mother trees? What does that research come from? But there's also the entire journey of a female scientist in a traditionally male dominated industry who is going against the grain with a revelation that is not very well accepted from the scientific community at the very beginning. And that makes this, this book even more powerful because Suzanne is very, um, what's the word? She's humble. She's a person who doesn't tell you about, she doesn't boast she literally tells you her journey. And throughout this journey, she gave birth to multiple children. She had a life-threatening illness. She had to battle the status quo of this male-dominated field without going at it as an attack, but more of how do I let my work stand for itself? And yet at the same time, I know I have to show up and do the work and present the work. So it's very enriching and it's extremely inspiring to see everything she went through in order to talk about this book, in order to get to the place of where she is. So, so definitely a thumbs up from everybody on Finding the Mother Tree and anything around Susan Simard really helps us um, better understand the world around us, but also better understand the journey that women in science go through and how you can persevere with humbleness, with, with family first, with all these different aspects of what it means to be a complete person. So very, very highly recommended. All right, the second book that we read that was also 
amazing. And I am so excited that that was the second book um, that we voted for was Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Now, if you've never heard of Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, just go look her up because Robin Wall Kimmerer is an American scientist. She is also an indigenous elder uh, of the Anishawabi tribe. She is, I probably butchered that by the way. She is one of the big proponents um, of the idea of plant or of nature pronouns of having key as in singular. You'll hear me and you'll see me use this a lot. The idea of key and kin, it's the singular and the plural key for singular elements in nature and beings in nature and kin for plural. And um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, um, Braiding Sweetgrass, is a wonderful integration of science and indigenous knowledge through the eyes of somebody that's literally living it. And I think that's the most powerful part about the book. She has been able to introduce these indigenous um, reciprocity-based principles into the work that she does as a professor and as a scientist. So it's another female scientist who's been able to do this because she is doing the actual work. She is going out there and getting her hands dirty. So she weaves this in this um, uh, indigenous or this Native American tradition into her scientific explorations and understandings and studies. So when she's talking to her students, she is talking both as an elder as well as a scientific professor. And this is a perfect marriage. It's it's such an important aspect. If you remember um, various of the uh, climate change reports that have come out of over the last few years have signified how important it is for us to look at indigenous knowledge if we're going to get if we're going to find new ways through many of the changes our earth has been going through because it is in that indigenous knowledge it's in that especially from a american perspective that native american um, knowledge that is going to help us find old paradigms that we can then bring into the modern context and i think that that's what robin wall Kimmerer does so well in all of her writing but especially in this book this book weaves the storytelling with knowledge in a way that you almost don't even realize that there is so much science packed into it because it's so beautifully told through the story so it's another double thumbs up so after this, we went, so our book number three was The Hidden Life of Trees. Now, The Hidden Life of Trees is by Peter Wollobin. Um, he It was his kind of big book that everybody sort of turned him on to, uh, turned us on to this German scientist. So it is a translation from German into English. And uh, the tagline is what, what they feel. So The Hidden Life of Trees, what they feel, how they communicate discoveries from a secret world. This book is great for somebody who wants to understand the interconnections of a um, of a forest. So Peter Wollenben is a forester. He's been, but he's more of a he's been living in the forest in the Black Forest for many, many, many years. He's works there. He's been able to watch these developments happen. So where braiding sweetgrass and um, and uh, which uh, finding the mother tree come from a place of scientific professors and science from the perspective of I do science, I teach science, I carry out studies, I work in scientific fields. Peter Willibin does it more from an observation as well as science. I mean, he does add his scientific elements to it, but it comes more from an observational perspective of being a part of a forest for so long. So it's a very different feel from the other books. Some people really love it. I have to admit that I'm kind of a mix on it. I, I don't, so I understand Susan Simard's mother tree reference in the sense that she talks about the mother tree as in this, um, this title because she is talking about it from the perspective of helping us understand what this hub tree does. But Peter Willibin, but she still has all this scientific research behind it. Peter Willibin a little bit anthropomorphizes a lot. And some people love that because it is very relatable. It's very easy to read. So if you're looking for something that helps you get into how plants communicate and cooperate and even where they compete and what that really means, and you want to do it through a language that's very human, then Peter Willibin's book is great. If instead you're looking for something that helps move us towards our plant friends in their world, it might kind of be a little bit difficult because it just keeps pulling you back into the human world and it almost humanizes them. And 
I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of humanizing plants in that way. So it is an interesting book. There is a lot of knowledge out there. It, it has been, it's one of those that gets mixed reviews. And I think in our group, it also got mixed reviews. A lot of people really enjoyed it because it's an easy read. In a lot of aspects, it is. Um, and it does provide a lot of understanding around how the ecosystem works. How does a forest work? Why do plants work together and all those different elements? So that was our third book. Our fourth book was taking us in a completely different direction. So we've, our first three, first two books were very scientific, the, but yet with these other elements into them, the third book, The Hidden Life of Trees was very connected to this experience of this forester, but still somewhat scientific. And then here we head toward journey with plant spirits, plant consciousness, healing, and uh, natural magic pra practices by Emma Farrell. Now, Emma is somebody that I know. I um, spoke at a conference that she used to host many years ago. Her and her husband used to host. I've actually spoken at multiple conferences that they host, but they used to host one called Plant Consciousness. And Emma has gone on to really become this author and this expert in this relationship with plant spirits. So she brought a very magical and mystical side into the relationship with plants. And we were lucky enough to have Emma with us for one of our discussions about her book. And that was fabulous because we were able to talk to her and ask her questions and get a better understanding about where she was coming from. So this book does have scientific knowledge because Emma is very well studied and very well schooled and she understands like what is the literature that's been put out there. But she also has a Buddhist background. She also has, she studied with um, various people on plant dietas or plant diets. And so she brings a much more a rounded approach that is around connecting with the plant, with the spirit of the plant. So connecting at a, at a more um, magical level. And the book is filled with a lot of exercises and activities. So you can carry these out. So as you're reading the book, you can stop and do the activities or the exercises in there to have these journeys with it. And she very highly recommends the creation of a journey where you work with a specific plant multiple for, for a period of time. And this was this was really interesting. Um, it complemented very nicely the books that we had had uh, up until then because it gave us a different approach. Now, you know, in the naturally conscious community, we use science, we use spirituality and mystical and esoteric elements, we use the arts. So to have a book like this that is written from a person who has an analytical and a somewhat and, and a, a knowledge based mind and also has connected with the plant so deeply from a spiritual perspective was really wonderful. I have to admit that um, this book was a, a great discovery for me. I, I wasn't sure if I would really like it because sometimes I love woo, but sometimes woo can be too woo. But I found that Emma's groundedness was really great. Personally, there was uh, there were some things about it that I really enjoyed. There was other things about it that I was like, eh, you know, Emma, great, but... Mm -hmm it's not me, but I have to say that if you're looking to create a more spiritual relationship with plants, the overwhelming uh, response from the group was that this is a very good book in that aspect. Okay, so book number five, complete, also shifting gears, we went into Entangled Life. Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures. This is by Merlin Sheldrake. If you are looking for a scientific exploration of the world of fungi, but with a psychedelic and a super fun perspective, Entangled Life is a book for you. Mer Merlin Sheldrake in general is for you. He is wonderful. He's like a child in a fungi a candy store. I mean, the, the book starts talking about truffles and you can just see him on a truffle hunt and you can feel how Merlin gets into the earth. Like you could just imagine him lying onto the earth and like connecting into the fungi. He has an extremely scientific mind. He has a PhD and he is very connected to the science behind fungi, but he himself is looking to explore all the aspects. So he took mushrooms and wrote about it. He, you know, so he looked into how are mushrooms being used, like psychedelic mushrooms being used in research and in healing. He, from a, from a, um, 
a psychological and psychiatric perspective. He went, like I said, truffle hunting. He went into all kinds of different aspects. So this book seems like it should be really complex to read, but it's actually really easy and extremely fun. So Merlin Sheldrake is a great writer. Also, he's English. He's got that British humor. And we just had a blast reading this book. It is complex. There are a lot of elements. And you know, when you start naming all of the fungi, you sort of get lost for a minute. But it, it's just a delight, an absolute delight to read and highly recommend that you go into it. The plants are in here. And the reason why we wanted to read this book was again, to expand our horizons. Obviously, we know that plants make very deep connections with fungi, and there's a lot of mutualisms and even some competition in there in how they live. So we thought this was a great addition from um, to kind of take us into an expanded view of the interactions plants have, and how a forest starts to cooperate or how plants start to cooperate with fungi in any context, even in your own home. So, and this really did provide a lot of insight that we truly enjoyed. After that, we went into book six. Our book number six was The Global Forest. I'm, of course, I'm gonna put all these names in the show notes so you can find these in the show notes. But Global Forest, 40 Ways Trees Can Save Us. And this book was by Diana Bressford Kroger. Now this is probably one of the oldest of the books that we've read. Um, this book, when you started, and, and I have to say it was probably the most unusual of all the discussions that we wrote, that we thought about. Now, this book was published in 2011. So it's a relatively, considering many of the books that we read, this is a relatively older book. And Diana Bresford Kroger is, um, how do I explain her? She is a, she's a scientist. She is, uh, I believe, Irish. And she works, so this book sort of spans to different ways that you can connect in with um, trees. It's ecological, it's pharmaceutical, it is uh, plant intelligence based. It talks about, it's poetic. It has many, many different elements. And, but the writing is a little dated and it almost reads like a professor teaching you. So when we got into the discussion of this book, we realized that this book, being that it was written and it was it was published, so it was written even longer than this, about probably she started writing this about 15 years ago. This is a time when many of these topics were not accepted. And she comes from a culture where women scientists were not very accepted. So our discussion shifted when we, as we were talking, we started to think about, wait a minute, how old is she? When did she get into science? And what kind of a battle has she had to prove her more um, paganish, mystical sides? Because that's a lot of her like personal relationship with plants. And, but yet she's a scientist and a pioneering scientist. She's often on the, on the cutting edge of, of ecological and pharmaceutical properties way back in the day. So we realized that her book had to be written a little staunch, a little, a little closed up because this was the way that she could get accepted into the cultures that she was trying to write into. So we realized it was, it was a fascinating discussion. And this is where book clubs really shine. So the Plant Wisdom Book Club really outdid itself in this one because it was thanks to this conversation that we started to have that we realized that her writing had to be sort of tapered down in order for her to be respected. And so this is the type of book that I want you, if you choose to read it, it's best for you to read it, understanding that this is those places where what we know about the writer is different than what, um, knowing, excuse me, about the writer helps us better understand the writing. So that was one of the reasons. So highly recommend it from the perspective, from that perspective. It's not my favorite book in relation to the titles and what the subject matter is, but it is to see women who have had to claw their way to where they are and who they are. Okay, so let's keep going and we're going to hit book number seven now, seven, seven. This is, the title is, drum roll, Nature is never silent, how animals and plants communicate with each other. 
And this was written by Madeline Zieg. Um, I, she is, I believe, German. And this is her first book. And it very much reads like a first book. So it is an interesting book. Let me just say it like that. And that's not said like the kiss of death. I mean, it's an interesting book. It's not a complete, like something you don't want to read, but it's also not very high on the list. If I had to create the priorities and um, put these in the order of like from best to last, this would be in the lower quadrant. Um, not in some parts, it's because of the author herself. Um, she's relatively young. This is a relatively young writing style. And so, and she tries to convey a lot of different things. It's, there's a few fun stories like about bunny rabbits and some other animals, but it's, it's pretty animal focused to be honest. So for a plant wisdom book club, we thought we would expand because we, because the title says how plants, how animals and plants communicate with each other, but it's really mostly animal focused. So I found her stories to be fun and entertaining and the group really enjoyed kind of talking about some of the things we learned, again, especially about the rabbits. The rabbits were fascinating, but it's, eh, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a bad book. It's just not a great book either. I remember that the overall commentary that we thought uh, that that came out of the group was that if she ever reads a second, writes a second, probably even third book, that book is going to be really good. Because by that point, I think she'll have a little bit more experience in her writing style. She'll be able to kind of um, just communicate more. I also don't know whether this book was written in German and then translated, because as I look through, I cannot find any information about translation. And again, she is German, so it might have been also a lost in translation. Um, but take it, take it for yourself. Her specialization is wild rabbits in urban and rural settings. And so, like I said, the rabbit stories are worth it. If you're really into animal communication or how, how not animal communication, how animals communicate with each other and with other species, then this is a really interesting book. But if you're a plant person and you're looking for a plant book, yeah, it's not that memorable and you can probably move on. All right, book number eight. Now, book number eight was a book, like in the sense that there is a lot in here and our experiences with the book were very varied. Let me explain. So the book is The Mind of Plants, Narratives of Vegetal Intelligence. And I was so excited to read this book. The Mind of Plants was edited, and, I, and I'll explain why I say it's edited, by Monica Galliano, who if you watch any of my live commentary, if you read anything about me, you'll know that I really appreciate uh, Patricia Vieria. Um, and there was other editors. I don't remember. Let me see if I can find their names really quick for you. Ah, yeah. John C. Ryan. John C. Ryan was the third editor. So there was three editors. And the reason that this is an editor is because this book was written by, um, basically, they collected different essays and stories from different authors. So the book is completely covered in, it goes from A to Z with plants. And every person picked, every author picked a plant. And from that plant, they wrote a story. So one of the positive aspects of this book is that it's extremely varied in the sense that every narration, every essay is completely different, not just in the fact that it talks about a different plant, but also in what they try to convey. Some are very scientific, some are very artistic, some are very experiential of a life of that person. The whole point of the book is to explore plant consciousness and human interactions with plants across all different forms of plants. So apples and ayahuasca and passion, passion flowers. Passion flower is a very, very good one. Um, also by somebody I know, Christy uh, Onzik. Um, but um, basically the idea was every single author was told that they could choose whatever plant they wanted and that they could write from the perspective of plants as conscious beings and their interaction with those plants. So again, it gives a lot of variety. It's, it's a long read, I'll be honest, it's a long read. And so therefore our discussions were kind of hard to have because we were jumping around. What we ended up doing was choosing a number of chapters and we decided to just talk about those chapters. So we picked the chapters that we liked the most, that we thought were the most interesting or the most controversial or the most kind of 
um, got us, gave us food for thought. And then we talked about those. The, there are like, there was a chapter by um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, who we talked about in book two, Braiding Sweetgrass. Monica Galliano wrote one herself and she has her own book that spoke to plants. So there was a lot of different writing styles. And I think that that really enhanced the book. Um, it felt as if the book needed a little glue, something to hold it together a little bit better, something that told um, a, a storyline that brought these stories together in some way, shape or form. And I think that that was missing. That being said, the individual chapters, the individual essays, some of them are fantastic. Some of them, eh. Not so great, but overall a positive because it gives you a completely different insight into this relationship with plants. And that was very much appreciated. Like the idea of being able to have this wide repertory. Some stories, for example, um, Passion Flower was about Christie's um, relationship with Passion Flower as she was working on her doctoral thesis. And so it's very much this this uh, vine that is a, you know, a creeping vine that is coming into her life and that is somewhat representing the relationship she has with this thesis that's like sucking the life out of her and how much she learned through this experience with Passion Flower. Loved it. So again, some of the chapters, some of the essays are excellent. Apple was really interesting. I remember, you know, like just not thinking about apples in that same way. And so it was very fun and it's a great reference book or in the sense of it's a great book to have around. And when you just need a little connection to pick up and choose a chapter and choose a plant and then just read it and and enter into a different relationship with them so in that aspect it is a, a definitely a thumbs up because of that they also tried to do more things like i think they did a conference and they did a website i i wish they would have developed this further because i think as an overall project in the sense of the expansion of the relationship with these vegetal beings and really um, going deeper into the relationships that they're not just plant as object or plant as study in the sense of, you know, research or even sometimes the way we are as plant as connection and I'm going to sit and I'm going to meditate with a plant. This was also about plants as insp inspiration, plants as um, someone who guides your path in many ways. So there was lots of different ways for you to interact with the plants in this book. So in that aspect, definitely a thumbs up on in my book. And that takes us to book number nine. Remember how in the title I said it's 11 outstanding plant inspired books and one dud? Unfortunately, this is the dud. And it would be unfair for me to just leave it all out of the list. It's much more fair to the um, to the writer for us to share the book and express what our experiences are. Again, these are just our experiences. So, um, but so this is a spell in the forest, book one, tongue in trees, and it was written by Roselle Angwin. And Roselle Angwin, she is. How do I explain this? This is a good question of how do I do it? So technically this book is supposed to be a part one of a series. Um, the book came out in 2021. We have yet to see the series, so we don't actually know where it's supposed to go. The idea of the book was to focus on the relationship between trees and also the Celtic alphabet um, and, uh, or the Irish alphabet. I don't remember how she calls it. Now I can't remember what she herself calls it. Let me see if she talks about it. Sorry, I'm reading up. Uh, yeah, so she is, somebody who has written courses and does outdoor programs on mythology and on eco-psychology and a lot of North, uh, Norse and Celtic mythology in particular. So the idea was to talk about, a, this book was supposed to bring together sort of druidy and plant science and a bunch of other things. The problem with the book more than anything is the fact that it reads like a course manual. It's something that I, as a teacher would create for myself to use when I go and I teach a class. And so when you read it, it, it feels like there's pieces missing because normally, even if I create myself a course book, I never read from the course book. I, I take those highlighted pieces and then I add story and I add 
information that's based on the reaction that I'm having with my students at the time. So as a teacher, it was very obvious that this was probably a course that she's given several times to which she took her course notes and sort of package them up as a book. And our, our overall feeling was the need that she needed a really great editor. And in this perspective, the editor could have helped her say, okay, this over here is too dry. It just reads as in like an outline for the course. This over here is out of place. She repeats herself a lot. And her where her experience around like where her writing around things like the mythology pieces come from a person who you could tell has not only studied but probably worked with it her part at the beginning of the book on plant intelligence you could feel was very much a studied learned thing that she hadn't really at least the feeling that we got as a group as we were discussing this was that she really hadn't applied it and so she couldn't put it into modern terms she was using the she couldn't use it into personal terms she was just using the examples that we see in a lot of these papers and these writings and stuff like that and that made it very um detached and especially for us as experienced you know plant communicators and people who really love plants who've read so many of these books already it was just like okay thank you for telling us this but um why are you telling us this in the context of the book if the book is supposed to be more mystical more about spells in the forest and working in druidy and these types of aspects then why are you telling us this? And even when she goes into the Ogham alphabet, it's, it's like a laundry list. You know how sometimes you read books, like especially around crystals, you see this, where the book has like a crystal and then it gives you the properties. That's kind of what it read. It read like a list of properties, which if it's a reference book, then that's great. But it wasn't supposed to be a reference book. It was supposed to be kind of like a book that you work with and that you're you know, creating from, and it had stories and things like that. So that part just didn't work. Plus her version of the alphabet itself, of the Ogham alphabet, we couldn't figure out where she came up with those. So the Ogham alphabet is connected to trees, which is why it's used, you know, it's a Celtic alphabet that is connected, but her version was not any of the standardized versions. And all she says is, this is the one I work with. Okay, but you kind of have to tell us why. Why did you choose these? Why did you connect these trees to these particular things? Because it's outside of the norm of the more traditional reference material. And I could follow you if you were to give me an understanding and an explanation of like, after years of study and practice and whatever, um, the standard alphabet would say that this is the letter and this is the tree connected to the, uh, this letter. But instead I have found that working with the trees, this is the tree that comes to me more often. That's totally understandable and acceptable, but she doesn't explain it. So I think she probably does explain it in her courses. And I have no doubt that as a teacher, based on the way we were, um, reading it, we got this sensation that she's probably a good teacher. She also teaches creative writing and stuff like that, which was kind of surprising to us. I think she's probably really great at explaining things when she's in person, but putting it in a book felt disjointed and it didn't really work. So unfortunately, this one was the first book that we had to like kind of all unilaterally give a thumbs down to, which was very rare because again, we have by this point have gone through nine books and eight of them, maybe we didn't all love them, but we all pretty much gave them a thumbs up. This was the first one that pretty much everybody gave it a thumbs down. So sorry to Roselle Angwin. And just, it just is. All right, going on to book number, number 10, number 10. Number 10 is a classic. I am not going to talk too much about the book itself, because I think anybody who really loves plants has heard about the book and either has it ready that they're going to read it or has already read it. And it's The Overstory by Richard Powers. So this was a acclaimed book. It made it onto all the major lists. It was talked about for years and years and years and years. And so what else can I say about it? I mean, we did have really interesting discussions because I think that as, again, a plant wisdom book club, a plant inspired book club, people who are very plant focused, we, you know, you've heard all the hype, Pulitzer Prize and fiction, everything. And even 
listening because I had listened to several interviews by, you know, Richard Powers and he's very plant focused, but the book is very human focused. The plants are like a backdrop. Sure, they are the they are the point of contention in some aspects, and they are kind of what motivates people, and we loved that part about it, but they aren't really a part of the story as much as it gets told, which to us was a very big indicator of still the amount of plant blindness we have, where for the majority of you know general society, this is seen as like the plants in the foreground. And for us, where plants really are in the foreground, we were like, no, they're still in the background. So thumbs up because of course the writing is great. I mean, the story in and of itself is amazing. The combinations, we had some really interesting um, conversations about some of the characters that I've never seen in any of the other writings or the other kind of book clubby type stuff that exists on that. And that part of it was really fascinating because I hadn't realized like some observer roles and and also the relationships between certain certain uh, characters with their plants and how they mimic certain aspects. So highly recommend reading this book in a book club with a group of people or at least having a group of people that you can talk to about it because I think that it really enriches something that has gotten a lot of hype. So you come with very high expectations. And so it is nice to be able to have that group of people to talk about. By the way, I'm going to take a minute now to just say, I'm going to repeat it multiple times, but all the recordings of these, of our talks, of our, our time together as, um, of our discussions, excuse me, are in the naturally conscious community. If you join, when you join seedling sprouts, which is the level where the, the plant was in book club is, in, is, is you can access all of the old recordings. Plus we've read the book. So if you read it on your own, you're welcome to post, to go through the old posts, to make comments. I mean, we're always up for having more discussions on these books. And you'll also go into more detail of the things that I'm talking about. All right, going into our last two books. So our last two books, book number 11, was another book that we were thrilled to be able to have the author with us. It is a brand new book. Um, I had been waiting for a year from the time the book was announced to when it came out. And I was so excited when the book club chose it because it was definitely something that I had been looking forward to. And it is Planta Sapiens, The New Science of Plant Intelligence. And it's written by Paco Calvo. Now Paco Calvo is somebody that I know already for a number of years. I have reviewed many of his papers. I, When I was doing my master's degree, I contacted him. He's was a wonderful resource for me and somebody that I really admired. As a matter of fact, if um, I've always told him that when I do a PhD, he will be the person I call to be my advisor, no matter what school I choose to do that PhD with, because he is a philosopher in biology specialized in plant intelligence. So if you come into the naturally conscious community and you go to my live plant consciousness commentary, plant intelligence, plant consciousness commentary, you will see many papers written and authored or co-authored by Paco Calvo because he is very prolific. He is Spanish. He um, is from the University of Murcia. And so I can just talk so much about him. But this was his first book and it was written in English. And this is a book that brings together his decades of research all around the, the, um, the intelligence and why he believes plants are consciousness, the intelligence of plants and why he believes their consciousness, their communication, what it means. Now, Paco is somebody who is very adamant about not anthropomorphizing plants. So he is somebody who wants us to recognize plants for the beings that they are, not as human-like. And he has been very adamant in the plant neurobiology field and, and sort of against the human neurobiology field that has been um, sort of challenging the idea that plants are intelligent. So this book brings all of that together, all that research together in a way that is easy to access. So for people who maybe don't know about what's happening, for people who um, are maybe just starting out on their journey, he has some great stories that are personal stories. So different than the, for example, um, that Rosine, uh, Roselle Angwin's book, where she just kind of regurgitated what other people's research. Paco's doing the research. He literally every day is working with plants and researching and creating uh, experimental studies. So he's talking very much from an experience of, I was at this conference talking to so-and-so, or when I was working with this plant and creating this particular thing. So he is bringing in 
um, the concepts of what's happening is we get to understand more about the intelligence of plants, what this means for robotics, what this means for AI, what this means for humanity at large. And at the same time, he is one of the people that is on the forefront. So he's speaking very much from a, here's my hat as a researcher. And then because he's a philosopher, here are my philosophical musings or interpretations of this. And I really appreciate that. So I love Paco for that. I love that he is so easy to understand and he is so passionate. So if you go back and you watch our discussion with him, you will get a better understanding of his passion. And his passion really is getting the word out that plants are intelligence, getting um, more studies funded, getting more people to take notice and start to take action based on this. So, um, yeah, he, he really believes, and, and I understand this because I believe the same thing, that working with plants is going to be able to tackle some of the biggest issues that are happening in the planet today and some of our most urgent issues, and that it is the plants that hold the knowledge in the way that they communicate, in the way that they express themselves, in the way that they solve problems. So their visionary way of thinking can really help us out of the giant problems that we have today. So can't recommend Plant to Sapiens enough. Um, it's one of our kind of uh, one of the high favorite books um, along there with, you know, Susan Simard of Finding the Mother Tree. And so that was a really great read for read number 11. Read number 12, our book number 12, book selection number 12. Now, while I, I'm recording this, we're actually still reading this book, but we've already had two discussions. So I feel pretty confident in being able to share with you the, the, the thoughts around this, especially because the second discussion on this book was with the author, the author MK Nadal, who has another name. That's actually his nom de plume, but we actually know um, MK, who is Mark. Mark uh, is a part of the naturally conscious community. Um, by coincidence, he joined our naturally conscious community and we had his book on our list. And then um, we selected it this time around. It's been on the list forever. And this is our nonfiction, I mean, our fiction book, kind of like the overstory is fiction. Um, Return of the Yggdrasil is, sorry, I don't think I even told you the name. I'm so excited. Return of the Yggdrasil. The book is called Return of the Yggdrasil by MK Nadal. Sorry, I get really excited about this book. Um, and, and if you listen to our discussion with Mark, you'll understand why. Now, this book is science fiction. It is a galactic story of aliens that photosynthesize, that come to Earth and declare that we are no longer allowed to eat the light foragers basically plants. In other words, we're not allowed to kill plants just for the sake of killing plants. And they specifically focus on food. What does that mean is pretty much the whole story in the sense that these galactic beings come, these, these like, again, they're photosynthesizing kind of plant-like in some ways, beings that come from who knows where, they are called the Yggdrasil and the Yggdrasil arrive and they invade a reality TV show because they think the reality TV show is real and that it can influence society. I won't tell you more about the rest of the storyline, but let me just say that it is fantastic because it's funny. It is uh, very well researched. Um, um, and because Mark is uh, works with platypus, like that's his specialization. He's a biologist who's working that. So there is, he has a scientific background and he did a lot of research. It also brings in elements like the media, sustainable agriculture, music production, the influence of reality TV, uh, the nature of truth itself. It is a little hard to read from the perspective that Mark is, um, is Australian. So this is an Australian author. And his grammar is tricky. Plus the aliens don't speak like we do because of the way that they've, what they've, what they're using to speak with. So there are times where you have to read the same line like two or three times, but I promise you it is hysterical. It's funny. It's curious. It, it gets us thinking about some important topics where today it's all about, you should be vegan. And these aliens are like, no, veganism is bad. Eat animals because animals eat animals. Plants don't eat animals, so you shouldn't eat plants. 
which is of course not 100% correct because you know there are plants that eat animals. And then what happens, what does it mean to do massive agriculture, like industrial agriculture versus small farms? Should you eat tubers if you're going to kill the plants? But if, you, if, if that's not okay, but is it okay to like harvest wheat, which regrows? Uh, like what about fruit, nuts? Like it really opens the gamut in a super fun, very playful way. So it's a great introduction into a lot of these topics, um, especially for people who maybe don't want to touch these topics. It's a great way to get them to see certain things from a fun point of view. And then they might ask themselves, well, wait a minute, what does that mean for the society that we're in today? So in that aspect, it's really, really, really fun read. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a quote here that says, you'll laugh, you'll cry, your tail will twitch. And this is from Princess Fluffy Tail, the, uh, the author's cat. And I think that that's absolutely true. We had a great discussion with him. He's an extremely humble person. Um, this was his first book and he, he kind of wrote it on a whim. It was just something he needed to get out of him. And we are delighted that he did and we're trying to beg him to write a sequel. He wasn't even planning on it. Uh, so if you have the chance to read it, all of these books are in bookshop.org. If you go to Tigrila Gardenia's shop or Tigrila Gardenia's reading list, you will see um, both all of the books that we have in the queue, as well as the books that are here that I listed as the 12 books that we have read so far. So as I said, 11 outstanding books, one dud, pretty good ratio, I would say. And we're getting ready. We will be doing our final discussion with uh, about Return of the Yggdrasil at the end of July. And then August 1st, we will start up with a new book, which we have yet to know what it is, because we will start our voting process sometime soon. So we usually take about two weeks to vote for our final book. The Plant Wisdom Book Club is open to everyone. It is a fantastic way to really get into some of these stories to open yourself to new adventures. Um, yeah, I can't really speak about enough. It was one of these things that we weren't sure how it was going to go, but it has been so enriching for all of us. And as much as possible, I will be bringing in the authors themselves to speak about the book. For The Mind of Plants, we had hoped to have one of the authors with us, but unfortunately it was around Thanksgiving and she wasn't able to make it. She had family commitments and it didn't work. But every time I have access to one of the authors, I will be bringing them with us so that we could have a discussion with them and really understand what it is that they were thinking about with these plants. The Plant Wisdom Book Club is located in the Naturally Conscious community. We do everything online. Like I said, we read our book for two months. And then during that two months, we have two mini discussions and then a final discussion at the end. Plus, we have a dedicated area where we constantly are talking about the book and we have kind of a reading pace that we're working on. And, you know, anything that comes up that we want to share about what the book has to offer. All of the recordings around all of these books are in the Naturally Conscious community. They're inside the Plant Wisdom Book Club, so you can go and see our discussions. And yeah, and hopefully join us because we'd really love to have you. So that's it. That's my kind of review of these 11 outstanding plant-inspired books and the one unfortunate dud. And I'm really looking forward to everything that the Plant Wisdom Book Club is going to show us in the future. Until then, resist the urge to hold back your green brilliance. This is Tigria Gardenia signing off. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. Intro and outro music by Steve Shuley and Poinsetta from The Singing Life of Plants. So join me, Tigrila Gardenia, and my plant collaborators next time on Reconnect with Plant Wisdom.